Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Imagine surrounding yourself with incredible women. Women who've overcome challenges, they've rebounded after failures and disappointments, and women who are not afraid to shine their brilliance to make a mark in the world. These women support other like-minded women because they know there is plenty of opportunity for everyone and that together we really can make a difference, grow our businesses while have fun along the way. This is what Women in Leadership Podcast is all about. Welcome, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Grab a cup of your favourite beverage, pull up a chair and let's get this conversation started. And welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership Podcast. Now, my guest today says you decide when you move forward. If your current situation is not empowering, then go find one or create your own. Joining me on today's show is Kelly O'Keefe. Kelly runs a company that is devoted to maximizing the revenue of women-owned businesses, as well as sharpening female sales leadership skills called Empowered Engagement, LLC. She specializes in studying and working with millennial female business leaders. She She has or was a technology sales executive who oversaw 15% of her publicly traded company's revenue. And she was also in charge of two key client relationships, leading over 300 people globally. She had to leave corporate for health reasons related to fertility treatments. And she began to realize the cost our society was experiencing after the great breakup. Now, Kelly has devoted herself to studying the millennial female in business and realized a main way to gender equality in leadership is through having more women in leadership and revenue leadership roles. Now, specifically on today's show, Kelly is going to share five challenges that millennial mid-career females in business face and how successful women have overcome them. She's talking about the importance of having women in revenue leadership, as well as ways that we can empower more women to lead revenue, both for corporate and within their own businesses. So welcome, Kelly. Hi, Emery. It's so good to be with you. Appreciate it. Oh, look, absolutely. We've got uh, such a jam-packed show to speak about today. And I love the way that uh, when... You know, you, th- you look back over your career and even life's journey, there are so many different lessons that we can learn. And how often as women, we look at other women's backgrounds, we look at uh, their history and their progression throughout their career, and how so often we admire but we forget to look at our own backgrounds, our own gifts and talents and skills. And um, we don't want to admire other women and and, uh, celebrate what they've achieved and not the same for ourselves too. Have you found that with millennials that they can tend to look at what others are doing and disregard the amazing, uh, you know, ability, skills and talents that they have to offer, whether in their own business or within corporate? 
Sure. You know, I think millennials are, are much like any other generation in terms of, you know, we're all people, right? And and millennial women in particular, um, you know, there is a sense of questioning our abilities sometimes. I call it... Um, you know, a question of credential and potential, right? You know, when when men go to apply for a job, usually they're hired or they apply based on, oh, I could do that, or I have the ability to do that, the potential to do it. Women tend to go get credentials that say on, on a piece of paper, you know, and they overqualify themselves for the role, right? So I think that there's a balance somewhere in, in between, obviously, but millennial females in particular um, are very consumed with, you know, am I qualified? How do I gain the skills? Um, I, I may not be qualified enough as this other individual, just just like you mentioned. So I think there's an element of humanity to that that's that's actually humbling and nice. But at the end of the day, you know, as women, we do have a responsibility. Millennials are now coming into our own. We're leading business units. We're leading the world. We're changing the world. And I think that it's time to really understand that we do bring some really amazing skill sets to the table um, yes. and we're already changing the world. So we have a lot to offer. I love that. You know, as you're sharing that, I mean, obviously, I think back to, um, you know, when our generation, my generation, we went through the exact same thing. We went through the exact same thing. So it's interesting that uh, to hear that if millennials are still um, experiencing that. Well, let's talk about some of the challenges. And that may have been one of the challenges that you were going to speak a little bit more today. But you said there's five that you have seen uh, millennial mid-career females in business face and how successful women have overcome those. What are these um, challenges and what are some insights that we need to know? Absolutely. So, you know, it's COVID really, I think, shed a lot of light on, um, you know, what millennial women were dealing with. And I think the great breakup was women's expression of something has to change, right? So you look at, um, you know, different things. And, and my research really centers around, um, you know, McKinsey's Women in the Workplace Report. I've done a lot of research in the U.S. as well as internationally. Um, but, you know, the five main challenges that I found that women are facing and have su are successfully trying to address yes. and successful companies are, um, are addressing this well, right? Um, there's some companies that are still struggling with it. And these five main areas are really composed of gaining access to the right things that set you up to be an executive. So we call that access discrimination. So actually gaining access to those things that um, help you move up in your corporate career. Um, a second um, element is overcoming, I call it overcoming obliviousness, um, but maybe, you know, could be called overcoming or addressing microaggressions. So things that folks don't realize they're necessarily doing that are um, disrespecting women or disrespecting other people um, may be different from them. 
Third is the wage gap. We've seen that <laughs> forever. Women have made progress. There is some progress there um, in terms of gender equality, but we're still seeing about a 20 to 13% difference in the wage gap overall. Um, and that has to do with some of the roles that women are um, choosing to take on and, and gaining access to take on as well. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that. But the remaining two, one is flexibility. And I talk about this a lot in my research, you know, my my women, I'm writing a book on this. I think flexibility flexibility is really the defining factor of our time and this generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and lastly, recognition. So really gaining the recognition that you feel you've earned, um, as opposed to maybe someone who's taking credit for it or or maybe not feeling valued enough in your organization. And those are really Great companies are, are, are learning to address these items really, really well if they haven't already. But COVID really brought this to light and the great breakup um, really showed us how important these five areas really are to millennial female. Mm -hmm. Let's um, look at um, the first one. And there may be some more that you want to dive deeper into. And I'll preface uh, our discussion by sharing something that I read once. This is many years ago, but I'm wondering if perhaps um, some of the things that were happening then are still uh, happening today. And there was a, a paper here in Australia that reported anonymously that one of the big corporations admitted that when they were in salary negotiation for a particular role and whether they were interviewing a male or a female, a man or a woman, they tended to offer the females less. And the reason was because we know that typically women do not negotiate for their salary. They pretty much accept what is offered to them. So I wonder, could that be happening now and could could we be supporting women in their ability to feel confident to be able to go to the negotiation table and have some strategy around how to approach that? And is that something um, that aligns a bit with the access of discrimination, getting support for women to be able to, to access the kind of uh, coaching, mentoring that would support them in this way? Love to hear your thoughts on this, Kelly. Sure. You know, um, everybody's different, right? So we can't speak for everybody, but um, I have um, been researching successful VP plus millennial female, millennial females in the US and their best practices. And um, one thing, a few things have really come to light that are just super encouraging and, and surprising as well. Um, but in terms of gaining access to the roles that really unlock high earning potential, we're seeing that, um, you know, most of those roles are actually roles that entail owning a P&L, meaning owning a profit and loss statement, owning a business unit, being responsible for bringing in revenue to that unit and the costs associated with that unit. I, you know, women need to be in charge of profitability of a sector of their company because that really allows them to be in a position and have a seat at the table where they know what's bringing in revenue. They know their company, their customers, they're making responsible decisions for this business unit. And the financial statements don't lie, right? You're, you're either looking pretty good on paper or you're not, right? So I think, you know, gaining access to those roles has traditionally been very, very difficult for females. Um, and so when you look at millennial females at this point in time, you know, we have the cred credentials, you're 
seeing um, were hired in really 50-50 rates, um, millennial females and, and you know, females in the workforce in general at this point, we are much more highly educated. We've got 60% of master's degrees and at least that um, much of PhDs. But yet when you look at um, sales and particularly women vice presidents or higher of sales, we're looking at less than 15% of VP of sales roles are female. So there's definitely a gap there, right? And so we've got to get access to those roles. Now, here's the kicker is we've got to be put ourselves in positions where we are negotiating for those roles, right? Um, I don't think that it is based on my research, my personal experience, I really do not think that it is a a question of if millennial females are negotiating. I do think that there's more negotiation happening for sure. Yes. Um, the research points to there being a discrepancy with the way women are viewed when they negotiate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what's interesting is most male uh, you know, most males in the business world um, that are offering a position to a females and, and having that female negotiate, see if if all things are equal and the female and the male are have the same credentials, same level, level of experience, et cetera, and the females are negotiating um, many times, and the research tells us this, that that hiring manager feels as if the female is being too aggressive. And so women have this balance, right? This tightrope to walk right now because we want to negotiate, especially if we're interviewing for a role that negotiation is a critical component of that role, right? Um, Many women that I've seen do it successfully try to negotiate at least once. They at least go back and they use market comps as well. They say Mm -hmm. the comparable, you know, salary range for this position is X. I meet this criteria. You know, I expect comp to be in line with the market. And I've seen them do that very successfully. And that is taken as a less aggressive approach. Yes. You know, what's interesting about that as well, If you and I've heard these conversations too, and it's almost like, oh my goodness, we have so much more to navigate through because then you, if you're interviewing with a woman, she may feel threatened if she's, you know, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's like this um, a part of all of these things that women have to ne- negotiate. And it is true when you look at, um, and, you, and, you, and I've spoken to so many women, they have worked so hard. They have got so many qualifications um and uh yeah so i wonder have you in your research too um been able to uncover these women that did rise and and have more pnl as you said responsibilities and oversight of that were there some key things that they could put it down to i mean i know mentorship is really important you've got to surround yourself with others who really will you know so into to uh to you and your career but are there some things that they have been able to look back and to say it was uh, these things were really key in supporting me and stepping you know into this role it, have you been able to under you know uncover that absolutely so you know and I think this is so important um a because you're talking about this Anne Marie because really a key component in this is networking and talking about it right if you look at the statistics most women from ages 35 to 50, really slow down their networking 
Um, and a lot of this can be attributed to women caretaking, all of that. But if you look at women with children compared to women without children, it's really the same in terms of their networking activity. It very much slows when you go into that age group of 35 to 50. Now, with men, it's not like that. Um, they are networking, the, the research shows us. So I think, you know, really making sure that you're keeping up with your career contacts is super important. Um, and cultivating those relationships. And I think, Anne-Marie, to your, to your point, um, talk, just talking about it and sharing information. Podcasts are a great way, especially this podcast, is a phenomenal way to keep up with what's going on um, around the world and in your network and in your industry. But, you know, using social media, using LinkedIn, et cetera, great tools. Um, another, you know, key component and trend I've seen with highly successful females, VP plus that are millennials, um, are cultivating what I call a mega champion. So along our career, we hear exactly what you've been told, you know, cultivate great mentors, women in corporate that are rising at extremely fast rates, meaning they are moving up to the executive level ranks quickly have usually developed a relationship with their direct line of command, meaning their boss or their boss's boss, that is not only an, a, men a mentor, but what I call a mega champion. They're not just a mentor giving you, you know, career learning advice. They're not just a champion that's going to bat for you when someone asks how you're doing, but there's someone who goes out of their way to advocate for you because you make them look so good and you help them so much and they know how hard you hustle and how smart you are. That's a mega champion. And these women that have rose um, incredibly quickly in their careers have a mega champion that are going behind behind in, in ways that they don't even realize this person is advocating for them with um, folks that have the power to create positions, promote, demote, et cetera. Mm, yeah, I love that. That's so important. And these are things that they continue to do on an ongoing basis, isn't it? They recognize that it is so important. Something that um, you mentioned, even if women are taking a break from the, the workforce or even, um, you know, diminished, if you will, because of family, the opportunity to network even within the groups that perhaps, you know, you, you may now be associating with, you just don't know who these other women or men who may maybe taking on a role of, of looking after the family, who they're connected to. You just don't know. And I think, it, you know, we've got an incredible opportunity to continue to network in that area too. There's something that you mentioned, one of the five uh, key challenges. I mean, we've talked about the access or discrimination towards access of certain roles. You talked about overcoming obliviousness, if I'm right, mm -hmm. a microaggression. Talk about that because sometimes it's that microaggression, the things that you know that are happening but you may not be able to put kind of um, – yeah, it's just difficult to bring up and oftentimes, but can really undermine that too. Talk about what are some of the things you see are happening when it comes to that uh, microaggression. Sure. And, you know, I've had folks ask me, what is a microaggression? And really what I boil it down to is it's a slight or disrespect um, 
due to not understanding or or not even being aware potentially that you are affecting someone different from you in a negative way. So a great example of this would be, say there's a room full of businessmen, there's one businesswoman, we're all at the same level um, professionally, and the men just assume that the woman will take the notes for the meeting. Um, that would be a microaggression because you're kind of assuming that the woman is maybe in a lesser position than you. I've had folks, um, friends of mine that have, you know, been highly accomplished, successful um, corporate lawyers, et cetera, that have been mistaken for admins just because they're female. So I think anybody in a marginalized group or in a, in a situation where the context is there could be subject to just a misinterpretation. I, that's why I really refer to them as oblivious types of behaviors, because I don't think most people have malicious intent. I think that the world is just changing and we're not familiar yet with seeing women in powerful positions abundantly. And until that becomes more common and familiar, we're going to run into these situations. Mm. Um, So. And in that instance, uh, how would you recommend someone would address that? I mean, I think sometimes a bit of humour, maybe a little bit of sarcasm, but, you know, wrapped up in a bit of humour. How would you approach that? (laughs) You know, it's interesting because I've approached it different ways in my career. A lot of times what happens with women and those that I've interviewed is they're kind of stunned at first. Um, there's this kind of shock. And then in the aftermath, they wish they would have used humor or, or used something um, that was just quick witted. Right. Um, so I think having something off the cuff that's kind of ready, as sad as it is, is, is kind of nice um, because there's some that you can sometimes expect, unfortunately, um, just being it, as as someone who's underrepresented in a certain context, right? So um, I usually use humor and um, that's been the tactic that's worked best for me Um, and also seeking to understand. So, oh, I'm sorry, you're looking for the admin. Um, Well, you know, you might want to check the the floor that the the admin works on or, or, you know, whatever it is Um, and trying to seek to understand because sometimes it honestly could be an honest mistake. But I think I think humor is a great way to deal with it. But it certainly depends on the situation. I mean, sometimes I I would have to keep my my lips closed because those they that's come can come, you know, quick and fast. But it's almost like, yeah, sure, I'll take the notes. Uh, Maybe you do the coffee run. How about that or maybe we, we alternate or something like that and as you say I think one of the most important things to re- remind ourselves of is that it just may be a very a, a misunderstanding sometimes we can have arguments in our own heads and um, yeah things get right out of proportion but bringing them up you know politely with a bit of humor I think uh, can certainly go a, a long way absolutely you know my sister-in-law um, quick story my sister-in-law is just wonderful um, she works in a corporate setting and she's you know told me a story one time of her um, being asked to cook to cook bake a meal for a, <laughs> for a corporate event <laughs> she's are we running low on the budget for for bagels or is the cater catering you know I didn't know that was in my job description um and she's she's like look I, I don't know how to cook you know um, oh, I remember years ago and I've shared this story before but I always have to laugh I remember I was quite young then at a bit of working in a small um small business and so many of us would have to take on multiple roles which I absolutely loved but I remember we had one senior executive come in 
from a larger organisation and everything was run through a central um, receptionist because she would, you know, mark all of the calls. And uh, he came up to my desk and he said, uh, would you dial, you know, would you ring so-and-so for me? And I looked up to him and smiled and I said, sure, is your dialing finger on strike or something like that? And he kind of looked at me. I said, you're more than welcome to make your own phone calls here. He said, oh, okay. But I, I remember, I thought, I'm not sitting here dialing numbers when you can do that yourself. But again, using humour, we laughed and and off we went. And uh, I think humour can, uh, can uh, break the ice uh, so well. So love that. Let's talk about the importance of having women in revenue leadership. Uh, I mean, you talked about, you know, um, women having ownership of PNL and and that unit. I mean, if if this is the first time anyone's ever really thought about that, what are some things that they can start doing to position themselves uh, for those types of roles? What within an organisation do we need to do, whether we're small organisation or larger organisation, that can encourage support and um, mentor women so that they are better prepared to step into these um, revenue leadership type roles? What insights? Oh, I have? love that. Yes. Um, so it's it's really, um, I would say, twofold. You know, you've, you've got to have more women self-selecting into roles that are not traditionally female. Um, and, and so I think, you know, there's been, and then you've got to have companies that are actually investing and promoting women into those leadership roles that are revenue producing leadership roles. So, um, you know, first off, I would say to someone who's a business leader, and I think we've made great strides in terms of our recruitment levels. We have a 50, 50, um, recruitment rate, generally speaking, especially in, um, in sales. You see usually sales teams across the board are about half females, half males, and that's awesome. Um, but you know, we've got to start assigning key performance indicators and tracking how, um, females are moving into leadership in the revenue generating areas of our company. I think, you know, the great first step is having that entry level. Okay. We can say our company is, you know, half females, half males, or, or very gender, um, equitable, but we've got to be measuring our gender equality in leadership roles. Um, now as females, and, and mid-career females, if you're millennial generation, you're getting into this mid-career um, situation and you're balancing a family and different, doing th- different things. And so, you know, going into revenue producing roles sometimes can be difficult or, cha- or perceived to be challenging or difficult because you're responding to client requests and you're, you know, the hours might be, you know, perceived as, as different. And um, we've got to be going up for the challenge, right? A lot of females we're seeing applicant rates are very high in um, white collar roles such as legal, such as HR, things that are very vital to a company. And we're so glad that women are represented in those roles. However, we've also got to have women represented in the revenue producing roles, because as we know, having a seat at the table and making decisions, those women who know exactly what our highest producing customers want and need are the ones that are going to have that voice at the table. So 
I think as women, we've got to do our part to really put ourselves in those positions. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy, but I do see, you know, highly successful um, male executives and even some female executives um, have, you know, admin help. They have, you know, at home help um, and, and making those investments in um, in babysitters, nannies, et cetera, to kind of, you know, help them with those additional challenges. And I think that's a conversation that we can have with our executives and our um, higher ups at a company of, OK, what does it mean to have a female that's growing a family? in a role like this? What are the expectations and how can we actually um, in, empower and enable um, these roles to be gender equitable? Mm. I think also you something that you mentioned, you know, a lot of this was happening. Um, uh, however, because of uh, COVID, the lockdowns and so forth, and the change in the way that we work, the flexible hours, the working from home, you know, whilst at that time, it might have been as seen as a significant challenge, and it was, I think from that, we can learn and there's been a lot more organisations that have now embraced and seen the value of the flexibility, working from home and, and so forth, you know, being in the office per se doesn't or um, isn't the only way that someone can be productive. There's something else that you mentioned, and I'd love to pick up on this because I think if organisations aren't seeing this, they're, they're leaving a lot of money and opportunity on the table. When it comes to the purchase power, the, the dollar, uh, the purchase um, and so forth, you've got to realise that a lot of women, you know, in the home are influenced in in purchase decisions and so if you're not able to see you know the way that we as a business that we relate our product and service through to the female they are missing a lot of opportunities and who better to bring that to the table than another woman you know what I mean and so I think for organizations who don't have some sort of a pathway a structure that would encourage those women and look at well how can we make sure that our organization, creates a way that will enable us to, you know, invite and have women around the table, even if they are also, you know, uh, looking after a family and, and raising a family. I think they are leaving a lot of opportunity on the table, untapped opportunity. Would you say that's a fair comment? Sure. Look, I mean, I think... <laughs> Research does tell us that in nonprofit and beauty health related industries, you do see more female executives. Mm. Now, those roles actually tend to pay a little less. Um, nonprofits, you know, thing, things like that. Now, if we look at like software sales or, you know, technology sales, those roles are generally higher paying because the gross margins are so much higher. However, the, the end buyers are typically male. That's, that's evolving, right? Um, but I do think to your point, there's a concept and I learned about this in graduate school and I, I infused my, my course with this when I help startups set up their, their sales teams and revamp them, it's called design thinking. And you may have heard of it, but design thinking was originally developed by Stanford um, School of Design around product development. But you can apply it to sales. And I think it's highly effective when you apply it to sales because your point, Anne-Marie, if you're selling B2C, if you're selling, your company's selling a product or service to a consumer or, or enterprise customer, if that customer is female and making a lot of the buying decisions, um, you know, the design thinking approach, the first step in that approach is empathy. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. and truly understanding, not just on paper, oh, this is their buying habits or their trends, and this is this is what we think the future will hold, but actually getting in their head and empathizing. And women are terrific at that. Um, you know, we're so good at that, that even in the male-dominated industries, you see women that, you see companies where if they have female executives, they're more profitable than companies without female executives. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something to be said for that. It's not just about we want to have equal representation. It's like we're bringing something to the table. I mean, women are are incredibly empathetic and we um, are very collaborative. We have, we use both sides of our brain um, (laughs) all the time. And are able which, to which can be a positive sometimes, yeah. But you, can I just stop you on because I'm so excited to hear you say that. You know, there was an interview that I did with um, an organisation that was a market, a leading market um, research, and one of the things that they did because and it was again influenced through women. You know how typically the market research, let's get a whole bunch of people in a room together, we'll allow them to you know inter relate to the product and so forth, and we'll see what kind of um, response that they will get. Well, through the influence of women to say, well, why they, these just seem so cold. And to your point, was talking about empathy and collaboration and the conversation. They completely rechanged or changed the structure of how they did market research to have more of these open, um, you know, getting together and having open conversations uh, with women and men to talk about certain products and services and so forth. And the information that they were able to gain through changing that was incredible. Things that they would never have been able to identify because of the way that um, women relate. And it created an environment where people just felt who were invited invited, encouraged to share their thoughts. And from there, it just, uh, which was really exciting. So I just had to share that as you were sharing because it's it so exciting, Emery. You know, it's just so important. And I, I really want to iterate this is it's not about having all female leaders. It's not about having all of one gender. Um, it's about the diversity of thought because our brains works, work different ways and each person is different and our hormone levels are different. So, you know, you may have, you know, very testosterone fueled folks that are males. You may have males that aren't super testosterone fueled. You may have women that are more, uh, make decisions in, in a different way. So I just think it's the whole goal is for us to have more diversity of thought, um, because we can accomplish so much when we look at a problem from different angles. Yeah, I think you just can't do it any other way. Um, you know, we, and I'm sure you've heard of DISC and, you know, other incredible uh, tools that we can leverage. And, you know, for the visionaries who are just thinking about all these ideas, we need people who have their feet planted firmly on the ground to keep us, you know, let's just focus. I remember having a, a colleague who um, we would often talk and then I'd have another idea and another idea and he goes, let's just send to you right back here. Let's, okay. <laughs> and, and it's true, isn't it? We need uh, other people and and vice versa and I think exactly as you said it's it is we and we all bring a unique um you know skill set to the table and and uh celebrate it celebrate it and I know that uh we're just about at the end of uh the show today and we've just scratched the the surface (laughs) so in summary what are some of the you know parting insights and encouraging words that you would like to share Kelly to uh to millennial mid-career females 
Yeah, I think, you know, and, and it's been wonderful talking with you, Emery. I've been so excited about this interview and your show. So thanks for having me on. Um, but, you know, I think in in summary, I want to I want to leave with these nuggets. So if you're a millennial female, like most of us, you're trying to figure out how to to juggle everything and, and do it all. I look at, you know, society and how how meaningful it is for women to make their own money and to be in charge of revenue. And I'm not talking about just at the home. I'm talking about in business as well. In societies that women are driving and making their own money, you see domestic violence significantly decrease. You see quality of life for children significantly increase. Um, And so, you know, I encourage you as a millennial female to keep persisting and believe in yourself. Um, You mentioned the DISC assessment. I took my first DISC assessment the other day and learned so much. And it was so enlightening. So I encourage women to do that because when you see your strengths written out on a piece of paper, it is very empowering to then be able to have the confidence to say, I'm not an imposter. I am really good at this. I can offer value here. Um, so, so those would be a couple of things I would consider, um, in terms of gaining your motivation and momentum to keep, to keep moving upwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. You know, as you shared that, I mean, uh, if you think about, um, we talked about, you know, unique gifts and talents and strengths. Absolutely. I think buildings or, or increasing self-awareness around the things that really make you tick, so to speak, you know, that the word term that we use so often, you recognize um, how much of a skill set you really do have. You, I call this your unique and uncopyable skill set. And often, unless you are aware of what that is, it can can be something that you're trying to minimise. I had one uh, client and colleague who would often in the workplace be told, you need to sit down, stop asking so many questions. And then later on in her own business, she recognised that was a unique strength of hers because through real um, questioning and the right questions, she was able to help her clients narrow down where they needed to focus, what where the gaps were so that they can move forward. And the reason why her then boss or, or senior leader was telling her to sit down and not ask so many questions was because that senior leader felt intimidated because of the way that she just shone. And it wasn't until she recognised that's a unique skill of mine and how I can really uh, support my clients. And so having that awareness, you can really then stay in your lane, continue to really develop in that area. And often when you're doing what you are just created to do and, and wired to do, Others notice, doesn't don't they? They notice because it's a, a skill set that you bring that's contributing to the overall success of that organisation, whether it be someone else's organisation or your own. So, I agree. I encourage people, Callie, to uh, to become really familiar and and clear on who am I, where do I really shine, what environments you know, really support me so that uh, they can best position themselves in those environments. And I love, we're going to circle right back to uh, what you said, opening out, uh, opening the show with, if your current situation isn't empowering, either find one or create your own and then invite other incredible women and men to the table and together you can all rise. Kelly, share a little bit more about how people can get in contact with you, a bit more about your company. I'd love for you to uh, end the show with that so people can connect with you. 
Absolutely. So um, I run a company called Empowered Engagement, and we're founded on the principle that um, everyone should have a shot at, you know, being a high performance sales leader. And so I go into organizations, and I help them revamp their sales teams in order to um, reorganize for high performance selling. I use a combination of value selling and design thinking principles um, and have a proprietary method that we set up. So excited. Um, to help, you know, organizations um, scale and in a gender equitable way that's super high performing. Um, so you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn um, or um, my website, empoweredengagement.com. And it's all about empowering how you engage with your customers through gender diversity of thought. Um, so excited to, um, to share that and appreciate you having me on, Anne-Marie. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. I know uh, that those who are listening and then watching and, rec and listen to the recording will certainly, um, yeah, be empowered through what you shared today. So please reach out to Kelly uh, to find out more about how she and her organisation can support you, whether you're an individual or organisations. And again, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's Anne-Marie. Before I go, are you a coach or a consultant who feels like the world's best kept secret? Your experience is vast, yet secretly you're frustrated because despite all of your hard work, you're just not getting the visibility, the recognition or new clients you'd hope for and you don't know why? I've created a free resource that'll help you build visibility, generate leads and enroll dream clients with ease because you're seen as a trusted authority, even in a crowded marketplace. And you've positioned yourself as the choice versus just a choice for your dream client. To get started, go to annemariecross.com forward slash gift. That's annemariecross.com forward slash gift. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.